Good morning from Zurich. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Burley. Coming up on today's program, Juliet Lindley is here. Also, Marcus Schugel is here from, well, not quite from St. Gallen, but up the hill, but that's where he sort of spends most of his week. Anyway, we'll come to him later. First, I've got Juliet off to my right. What has caught your eye this morning? We're all wondering at the Vatican, is the Pope having a bit of a Gorbachev moment as he marks 10 years in office? And as influencers' kids are coming of age, they're uh, criticizing their parents and lashing out at them for exploiting their childhoods online. Imagine that. Also, our editor-in-chief, Andrew Tuck, will be joining us from, actually, I said London. He's in Palma. Of course, he's in Palma. Also, Claudia Schmidt from the Tagus Anzeiger is going to be here with a few tips from in and around Zurich. We'll also be getting the latest from the Bosporus Strait. I'm Hannah Lucinda-Smith, and I'll be talking about the latest events in Turkey. It's the 19th of March, 2023, live from Zurich. This is Monocle on Sunday. Live from Zurich, this is Monocle on Sunday with Tyler Brulé. A very sunny good morning to you on this Sunday. This is indeed Monocle on Sunday. We're at Dufostrasse here in Seyfeld. It was raining, I don't know, maybe a couple of hours ago. Now it's absolutely quite, quite beautiful. Uh, it was an amazing, amazing uh, Saturday uh, yesterday. As I said at the top, very happy that uh, Marcus Sugar's here, also Juliet Linney. Marcus, good morning. It's been a while. Good we morning. haven't seen you around the table. We have a lot to get through. We're not going to dive into brand and what this means for brand Switzerland, <laughs> as we were saying at the top. Of course, yeah. this is one of those days where on a Sunday, uh, Zurich is, uh, I mean, incredibly busy. Switzerland is very busy with this story. Much has to come together. Of course, the papers this morning, um, not just in Switzerland, but around the world, anyone who's interested in the world of, of finance, of course, is following the story that, uh, you, well, Credit Suisse will likely be gobbled up by UBS uh, with some type of announcement across the day out of Bern, uh, also out of Zurich uh, as well. But we'll be diving into probably what this means a little bit from a brand point of view. Yes, but just of course. Very, very quickly, your read on this. Will people miss Credit Suisse? Um, I don't think they will be gone so fast. I think the name will prevail for some time. It matters how, the, how you use it, but um, it's a security to keep things different a little bit. There's some stories around the world, crop, buy a crop science, buying Monsanto, getting Monsanto out. It is a strategic move, and I think I, I would wait until I really break down and delete that brand out of the history. Well, I think there'll be many brand lessons, uh, lessons that our, yeah. our listeners can get certainly sure. across the hour this morning as well. Uh, Juliet, very nice to see you. As I said, has well hasn't been an age. I, I only saw you only 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 Friday Friday evening for a very nice birthday party. But here you are again, looking fantastic on a Sunday morning. Amazing! And can I tell you, the studio reeks of garlic. I can't figure it out. Well, that's not that's not of garlic. It's berlauch. That's that's, that's what because it's wild. It's, it's so wild. Nice. It's it's wild garlic. And I'm sure we'll have people looking for our recipes. You could imagine me walking through the hills. I up above your house yesterday. But it's true, though. You walk into the forest right now and there is this... Pungent. It's not odor. pungent. No, no. It's, it's, a ni- it's, a just, it's a nice scent of, of garlic and it sort of stops you. Like, what, what does the forest smell of? Anyway, I love it, that you were scared that you might get a fine if you touched one of them. I know. Well, this is what I wrote in my column walking. as well. We all read that. It's no, because lovely. I was thinking, oh, it'd be so great to do a, a Berlauch pa- pasta and you make a pesto out of it. Um, or you could probably do it with a loose leaf. But I thought, hmm, should I pick it? And, uh, Scary. And, right? In and then country? In this country, you never know. I could have been behind bars this morning but anyway here we <laughs> are and just to keep our, our listeners um just to reassure them 
actually the studio smells of delicious cappuccini and matcha lattes. I was lying. The reek of garlic isn't that bad. No, not that bad. It's not present at all. There's a, there's also, of course, a, a gentle, gentle sort of, you know, whiff of Japanese incense, as there always is always. In, in, in this space That's as well. That's why we love it. Uh, we should probably head uh, to uh, points uh, a little bit uh, southwest uh, from here and cross uh, the Mediterranean, where we'll find ourselves in Palma, where we'll find our editor-in-chief, Andrew Tuck, who should be there, but is not there at the moment because he's probably assembling himself on the terrace to get in the right position to give us the right vantage point. Marcus, just before we head off to Palma, though, um, school is uh, is in is in full flow um, or not right now? I, I always forget. We do university students this day. Are they on? Are they off? Are they home? Are they are they well, in classrooms? In the Where are they right now? In the international schedule, we write in the almost in the middle of the semester, and um, it's everything in full swing in St. Gallen. And the campus is full of people. A lot of things happening at the square. Everybody's up and down, and we're looking forward for this uh, for the spring break, so to say, for the semester break. We don't call it spring break. And um, I'm going to be going with my students for a study trip to Singapore with an, an 25 batch of students and try to find out what Asia is bringing them. So looking forward to that one. That'll be, this is probably your, is this your first, you didn't do, did you do Singapore last year? No, no we didn't the last three years. Yeah. So it's the first time. So I'm very excited. Okay, well, I'm blazing the trail. I'm heading back to Singapore. Uh, well, from from next Monday, I'll be back. I'll be heading back to Singapore uh, as well. Not not a bit. You you're going to be there as well already. I'm going to be there since Tuesday this week. So. Okay. Well, let's put the card behind the bar for the students. I don't know if you're still allowed to do that, but anyway, okay. um, we we can. I actually do want to ask you though. You mentioned the square, which is which yeah. is interesting. Which is this incredible facility, which the the university opened last year. Yeah. Um, Sufujimoto was the architect behind it. Um, really, a bit of a design icon. It's supposed to be a bit of a a hub, a place to come together on campus. How's it working? Um, I think it's working working pretty well. Before a year ago, everybody was saying, "What are we going to do with this?" Nobody was really aware of what it could be, and now it's um, we call it sometimes the place for controlled serendipity. So you run into people, and I had this in the last three weeks with different executives that were there for workshops and all that stuff. And it's really a place that brings together different perspectives and for some kind of learning versions and and class setups. It's the best place to go. You don't need to do a case study in there, but if you're doing workshops with your students, you send them in and out for certain tasks, it's much, much better, and it's much, much more open and vivid. And it's really a place, the students love it. It's the most packed place in the Mm. university right now for learning and for everything. So it really initiates something at the university that I think is very important, this exchange, this openness. And this works pretty well. This is reminds me of a class that you could maybe do um, in Singapore. I was I was doing a lecture on urbanism, and I was talking about what makes cities work and why are cities so vibrant. And I said, you know, that great cities are about surprise and they're about serendipity. Yeah. And and I saw sort of many, sort of many sort of puzzled looks in the room, and and then a hand went up, and uh, and the gentleman said, goes, you know, how can we create serendipity? <laughs> so it was, it was a rather sort of Singaporean question, you could yes, say. Exactly. <laughs> That's very controlled serendipity yeah, that I, you're looking for. That. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Juliet, uh, why don't we why don't we jump into uh, things that caught your eye? It was interesting. Emma talking on the the news or speaking with the news headlines a bit earlier. Of course, a bit of a controversy in Vatican around maybe some funds that were maybe not spent in the best way uh, to have the release of a nun in Mali. Yes. But also, you were talking about also what this also means. And of course, you know, it depends on whose watch this was under. But also, we've got a decade coming up of uh, of our current pope um, on the throne. Um, yeah. 
in so, post, in position, what do you on say? the balcony? The throne of Peter? Yeah, no. So instead of going to Bamako, I'm just going to um, head back in time 30 years to when Gorbachev was um, in Moscow. And um, there's a great article in Crux Media. And it's about this. What's, what's Crux Media? Crux Media is an online um, Vatican analysis news uh, service. It's very well written. I highly recommend okay. it. And I don't know. I mean, Va- they're not friends of mine. Vatican financed? But, uh, no. No. Absolutely not. Independent voice. Okay. Yeah, no. Yeah. So, um, yes, after this dramatic decade in power, the Pope is facing a bit of a Gorbachev dilemma. So there's a lot of parallels. They're both maverick leaders, charismatic, open and passionate about reform, hugely popular abroad on the outside. So clearly there are a lot of parallels between Francis and um, the Soviet premier in the early 90s, just before the Soviet empire imploded. Um, But um, as Francis marks 10 years in office, he's got a lot going on internally. So um, you've got the traditionalist right who are seeing him as their enemy they're unhappy with his progressive agenda but then you have an impatient left increasingly hungry for actual revolution rather than just a few reforms here and there and francis has uh, promoted ecclesiastical glasnost if you want you know lifting old taboos and encouraging debate let's say about gays or the role of women in the church or married clergy mm. and his efforts at perestroika he's been launching a program of decentralization that he calls synodality but the question is like Gore Gorbachev is initiating a landslide that he cannot control. The right thinks things are going too far. I mean, it would be really fun to see a coup happening behind Vatican walls, but still, they are inclined to resist a lot of his agenda, while the left are tired of waiting for permission to implement uh, more sweeping reforms. I mean, just across the border in Germany, we just saw that the bishops voted um, for blessings to be given to same-sex unions. That's in open defiance Mm. of the Vatican direction. So, wait and see. I mean, keep an eye on the Vatican beat, uh, Tyler. I know you love it. But just bear in mind one thing. Uh, the Catholic Church has been around more than 2,000 years, so their staying power is a bit more than of the Soviet Union. How about that? Or maybe even Credit Suisse, or maybe not as well. Which, Let's which, talk which, about which, Credit Suisse. Well, no, we, we, we will in a moment, but we're going to also go to other Catholic shores as well, because we do have our editor-in-chief, Andrew Tucky, is there. Uh, Andrew, buenos dias. Buenos dias. I hope it's not Swiss telecoms as well going down, as well as the banking system. I don't know what's going well, on. Well, I, so I don't know. I mean, or, or, or it could be, or it could be Telefonica. I, I don't know. Anyway, Andrew, very good <laughs> to have you at a quarter past the hour. Uh, set the scene for us in Palma on a uh, Sunday in uh, in the month of March. Well, they claim there might be cloud and rain today, but I've just looked at the uh, the forecast and it says it's going to be blue sky all day. And, and certainly, looking out the window, I'm looking down at the the, the tennis club and. People are outside playing on the clay courts and already sitting in the sunshine taking their morning coffee. So it's not a bad spot to be uh, joining you this morning. Very good. Well, and uh, where do you want to start news-wise? Are we are we uh, looking at maybe the uh, is it Diario de Mallorca or are we is it Al País for you this morning? Or are we going back to to look at uh, the the British press? Well, we can do both. So let's let's just start here with, um, with uh, Diario de Mallorca because. Here, I think everybody is, is aware that the, the season is, is about to begin. But some stories in the papers this morning saying that actually the season for Mallorca has begun back in February because of the, the changes in temperatures. People know that it's a little bit warmer here. And in fact, they're not that nervous about the new, the new season bringing enough people because they already know that um, the, the hotels, many of the hotels are already booked out from Easter way into the season and you know it's it's a big time for bringing tourists down as, as you'll probably know Tyler that Lufthansa even uses some of its uh, old 747s to bring people down to the island and they, they've said that they're going to be doing that again this summer to cope with numbers which is all good in one way for the tourist industry but I think everybody is also a little aware of the 
the pressures it's it's bringing on the island on water resources on 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 how this place functions when so many people arrive in in such short order um and i just have to interrupt right now because um juliet beside me she's like she's actually she thinks she's actually doing a cooking program where she's going to be doing the bear love pesto <laughs> she's like she just reached for for a, a tube of moisturizer as 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 if the cameras were going to zoom in <laughs> and, sad, and suddenly and suddenly this was this is going to be a televised morning food program as well so anyway i just i just had to share that uh, share that with you and on the topic of 747s particularly lufthansa ones uh, that will be used to bring uh, people from munich and frankfurt uh, into uh, of course uh, palma we have a bit of a, a 747 celebration or in our current issue do we not uh, we do. We, we 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 got invited down to see the very final seven four seven coming off the production line of Boeing. It's a it's a cargo plane that was being built, but because it was such a momentous uh, moment in the h- history of aviation, lots of the, the greats and the good were there. So in fact, we actually caught up with Carsten Spohr, who obviously runs Lufthansa and who who has been a a big fan of the plane. And I think even now it, it's extraordinary that all the people we interviewed. At, at Boeing, that their their feeling is that this was, you know, one of those planes that was both, you know, a romantic idea of aviation, and that you know, planes, you know, you, you're you're genius. At it. I'm I'm not, but you you can spot the plane by how many engines it's got or the tip of its winglet. But here was a plane that anybody could identify the minute they saw it in 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 the skies, and that notion of the top cabin delivered a sense of glamour for many many years, even when they were <laughs> when they're being used for cargo. But it's, it's, it was an extraordinary moment. And, and we have some incredible photos of that, of that very final moment. And there's also just a view of the thousands and thousands of Boeing employees who've worked on the planes across the years, just sat at the final presentation. So, yeah, an extraordinary moment in this issue. Andrew, maybe we should also just uh, pick up as well, because the, you know, it has nothing to do with the fact that I've been in, uh, of course, uh, Spain for a bit of a stretch as well. Uh, you're there quite often. But when, when you and I did the postmortem on the issue... There's a lot of Iberian Peninsula and and maybe a lot of the let's say the, the broader Spanish world uh, and and Iberian world we should say um, as well. But another highlight story, um, if if you sort of peered south from where you are, um, a great piece that we did on um, on certainly one of um, Spain's uh, remaining enclaves as well. A, a great feature on Melilla as well. Yes, this is uh, Ed Stocker, who's a uh, Europe correspondent and who's uh, normally based in Milan. And he took the, the circuitous flight down to Melilla, one of two outposts on, on the Moroccan coast that is, is, is run by Spain and owned by Spain. And in the past, we, we, we were great assets to have for simply for a, a point of security, for watching over the Med. But of course, as the, the Moroccans would like to have them both back, please, they've become uh, tension points, but also back doors into Europe for many migrants. So it's it's an extraordinary story. And, and what's amazing is it's weird mix of architecture of the, the people who live within this enclave are not all Spanish. It's, it's, it's a mixture of people. And it, it's just an unseen world. And you, you, you realize how often you see Melida and, and Sousa coming up in, in, in the news. But suddenly when you have somebody there, it's, it's monocle at its best. It, it's, it's delivering the, the reportage and the the insight, but it's also matched with some extraordinary photography. And I should just tell our listeners um, as well, we hate to tease in this way, but of course, uh, if you're very, very close to our distribution centers out of Germany, then you might already have uh, your uh, April edition uh, with you. Otherwise, uh, we start hitting newsstands um, across Europe uh, from uh, from this Wednesday. And we'll just, uh, we'll, we'll stay in Spain for a moment. And, and I think another 
great moment, a bit of a you know monocle when we really sort of hit our groove is is a piece from Pontevedra, which is um, on the fashion school there. Um, a really sort of interesting piece of reporting as well. Because on one side of the street, you have, of course, world headquarters for Inditex, the parent company for the likes of Zara, Massimo Dutti, etc. And that they have this amazing hotbed uh, of talent. Um, and it's certainly not a global name. It doesn't sort of pop up, um, you know, like like, Par- like Parsons or FIT or, or, or Antwerp. Um, but it does seem to be yet again, part of this sort of the Spanish design fashion machine, uh, which is really becoming a great foundational place for education. Yeah, what an amazing story, because you, know, you, you we had to kind of explain to people in the story exactly where Pontevedra is. So it's in Galicia, it's it's right out there on, on the west coast, just north of Portugal. And we know that Portugal has its its production uh, hub in Porto as well. But here, across, across the border, you have Inditex and you have a, a network of businesses that are supplying them. And the, the influence of that company is, is extraordinary. But th- this school is independent. It's not just turning out simple high street designs. In fact, it's, there's a, a real air of, in, of inspiration in what the students are doing. Some really amazing images of people there. But I think also it comes back to something that, that I think Monocle is always concerned about, which is quality of life. And for the students who are there, they live in this town where they're embraced. They're surrounded by a heritage of craft and manufacturing that they can tap into. And they also have a certain sense of security that if they do well, there's definitely a, a job for them down the road. They won't have to go to Madrid or to Paris to, to find employment. And I think again and again, what we're finding is that many of these stories we're reporting for Monocle, when you come down to a regional level, if you have a few advantages like this, if you kept hold of your manufacturing, if you valued education and the ability to do something with your hands, you're in a very rich position now. And, and it's, it's a really beautiful story. So yeah, if you run a, a brand and you need talent, if you have a, a store that needs a, a new designer, you should be heading to Pontevedra. And Andrew, I just want to finally maybe just pick up on a point which I noticed uh, when I was um, in, in Andalusia last, last week and I was, I was talking to Emma about it a little bit, but you just you know, said that it's interesting that we, you know, here you are, you're in Palma, uh, one of really the Mediterranean hubs for, for tourism and also the hospitality industry. And of course, you know, no matter where we've been in the world, I mean, having been out in Asia, North America, it doesn't matter who you speak to, everyone talks about, of course, the hospitality crisis. The service crisis, but it, I found it fascinating talking to one or two people, um, maybe more than one or two people, uh, in uh, when, when I was in Malaga, Marbella, and, and Madrid as well, that there's not the same feeling that maybe you might have if you are in Munich at the moment, uh, or if you're in London or, or, or Paris, potentially, uh, that Spain is, is, has been very, very good at also calling upon its former territories around the world as well. And I know certainly having been in Palma last time, it's amazing when you go to you know, the cafes, restaurants that you're meeting, Venezuelans, you're meeting uh, Mexicans, you're, meet, you're meeting uh, Colombians, all they're working, um, and not just for the season, but have also set down roots as well. So I, you know, even, even talking to Spanish tourism, they said they've been very, very lucky that they have actually the broader Spanish-speaking world uh, to also draw on for, of course, one of the most important parts of their economy. Yes, you don't, you don't sense that, that shortage of staff here. You know, we, we went out for dinner last night yesterday we went for lunch at a tiny sushi place that's in the in the local uh, market next to the fish stand 
And you know, there must be like eight, nine, ten people just working on that tiny little sh- store. So I think they still have um, access to a, a, a lot of good workers. And as you say, it's, it's striking here many of the times if someone comes to the house to do something, if you have any contact with the service industry, if you get a blind the other day, day, other day and the guys from Ecuador, everybody seems to be coming from the, the Latin American world to work here. The only downside is you know, that, that there is a, a weird cycle here of, of people not working in the winter when they have to go on to a kind of unemployment benefit to get them through the winter. And I think that's the, the thing that, that does concern some people here is that they haven't been as good as, as, as drumming up the, the industries that can keep people employed year round. But that's the interesting thing is that this shift to a longer season, you know, we, we've been coming all winter and I think we've had one weekend where it was a bit grey. It's been uh, um, unbelievably good weather. Uh, good, you can decide if you, if you think it's been too warm. But or, it, this week on Wednesday, it's meant to be 27 degrees here. So if that's the temperature now, I think that what you will see in these Mediterranean places is actually that maybe in, like in the old days when pe- when it gets to peak summer, people go to the north, they go to Galicia, they they go to somewhere a bit cooler but the 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 season here extends on either side so it all interesting times and there's so many projects going on here it's extraordinary Andrew, let's just quickly do diaries very quickly and, and on the topic of, of Spain. So uh, it's it's certainly in this morning's newsletter. Uh, we'll be doing a book signing in Dubai uh, next Sunday evening. Um, so throwing open the doors for all of our uh, readers in the Gulf or anybody who uh, happens to be in Dubai next week. Then you're hosting week after, I believe, uh, Midori House uh, in London, throwing open its doors for tortilla, jamon, uh, I'm sure some very good cava, some nice Estrella beer, uh, and uh, and I'm sure there'll be some good reds and whites as well. Yes, yeah, so on, on Tuesday the 28th, uh, come get a ticket. You can get it online now. The price includes the, the book. It's the price of the book, but you, then you get all the other things uh, added on as, as nice treats. And we're going to have the, the Spanish ambassador to the UK is going to come and we're going to have a, a conversation about brand Spain and what it represents and, and how that has evolved and changed over time. And you've seen some some stories about certain places saying they don't really want Brits on their beaches this year. I don't think that's quite true, but we'll, we'll be testing him on that as well. Excellent, and then Andrew. After that, we'll be uh, we'll be doing sort of a double double act. Uh, there's a couple there's a couple of weeks in between. We have to get Easter out of uh, out of the way uh, before that as well. But then we will be in uh, New York uh, doing uh, an event again, book signing in New York uh, at McNally Jackson, the new McNally Jackson at Rockefeller Center, uh, and that is going to be on the Wednesday in New York. And then we're off to. Asheville. Uh, you've never been to Asheville. I've never been to Asheville. Uh, and uh, we have our first Monocle Weekender in uh, in North America. And uh, I should maybe uh, say this is going to also Sarah McNally, uh, fellow Winnipegger uh, as well, who runs McNally Jackson. She's going to be coming down talking about what it means to be an independent bookseller today, but an independent bookseller of scale uh, and someone who's doing incredibly well with it. Um, very much a, a member of the family, not just because she's from Manitoba. Uh, and, uh, and then also a variety of speakers. There's hikes, uh, etc. So, of course, it begs the question, Andrew, what are you looking forward to most, either New York or also uh, with, with the trip down to the Carolinas? I'm looking forward to both. I am really excited about going to Asheville. We, we've, we've done um, so much reporting about the place. We've, we've been, we've, they've been a partner for us uh, over the last couple of years. And actually, since it's been announced, even just this morning, someone else from Asheville wrote and said, I hope you're going to have... Uh, this company on your on one of your panels, I said, don't worry, we're great minds think alike. We, we have scoured the town. We found extraordinary people. There's going to be good food. And I think you know another thing that we just come back to again and again is how can we have these face-to-face conversations with our, 
our readers and our listeners and I, that's the exciting bit and I, I've never been there and, and Chris Lord who's, who's been there many times for us America's editor uh, he always comes back just so inspired by the place although he claims to have almost been chased by a bear in the woods one day which uh, uh, well, that's it that's the only other added bit of excitement I could do without Oh, well, I was going to say that, but there is uh, for for our listeners. We should we should say that this is something which kicks off on um, on a Friday. Uh, there's a dinner, um, of course. A few words will be said, and then and then the Saturday is is of course quite uh, quite a busy, buzzy day. Um, and then we're going to in an, as well part of that as well. There's hikes. There's all kinds of things that we're doing. We'll be doing this program. So Monocle on Sunday will not be starting at 10 a.m. CET. It'll be starting uh, at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So we'll be doing the program. Uh, from live from uh, of course from Asheville as well with our audience anyone else who wants to to come along um, and then we, we we scamper off and and, and head head off uh, in, in in other directions um, and just finally Andrew uh, before before we uh, leave uh, Palma as well I just want to get your sense we've got of course May issue coming up designed um, uh, very much part of it Salone uh, of course um, underway as well but if you survey your your living room um, and your apartment in in, uh, in Palma how, I'm, I'm curious how, how Spain did you go in terms of procuring design uh, versus other parts of the world I'm not not to put you on the spot uh, you know, please put me on the spot we, we tried as much as we could to only buy uh, from brands in Spain or from companies in Spain. So I'm sitting here in front of my coffee table and my two nice lounge chairs made by, uh, bought by a company called La Pesera, who, who's here in Parma. Uh, we bought uh, from Francesc uh, Reef uh, in um, Barcelona. We bought an, a, a nice bench and some lighting. We've got other lighting made by Contain, two um, Argentinian guys who are based here in Mallorca. Um, and as I look around you, the art on the wall, we've got, we've been to Gallery Pepnot up in uh, Arta. So we, we have tried our best to put money into the, the local economy. Not everything is possible, but we have, we have done our best. And, and you can still find people here on the island making extraordinary things. Andrew Tuck, our editor-in-chief uh, in Palma uh, for us this morning. You're listening to Monocle uh, on Sunday. It's uh, just coming up to uh, 10.30 uh, here in Zurich, 9.30 back in London. And that means that Emma Nelson is there with the news headlines. Thank you very much indeed, Tyler. Switzerland's biggest bank, UBS, is thought to be in advanced talks to buy all or part of Credit Suisse. The Swiss government held an emergency meeting last night with regulators racing to present a solution for Credit Suisse, which was founded 160 six years ago and has been called a monument of the Swiss economy. The Russian President Vladimir Putin has paid a surprise visit to the Ukrainian city of Mariupol. It would be Mr Putin's first visit to a newly occupied Ukrainian territory. Police and protesters have clashed in the streets of Paris over French President Emmanuel Macron's plans to raise the pension age to 64. Thousands of people marched across France amid anger at the government pushing through a rise in the state pension age without a parliamentary vote. And six penguins in Singapore have undergone what's believed to be the world's first cataract operations to save their eyesight. The penguins had the surgery at a clinic with the custom-made replacement lenses manufactured in Germany. The penguins were diagnosed as part of a geriatric animal care plan, which involves more frequent health checks, specialised diets and putting perches for elderly birds on lower levels. And those are the headlines. Back to you, Tyler, in Zurich.
Emma, I can't tell you the smile that you put on Marcus's <laughs> face because you know he's got these twenty-five students from St. Godland. I don't think they have a veterinary program. Maybe they do. But he's on a chick for those penguins. But, but I mean, listen, you've sorted out at least three field trips for his students now. You know, they, 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 you know, when they're there, he's been wondering, what am I going to do with the, the students on a Thursday night? Yeah. They can go. And, they can go and visit the penguins. It had had all the elements for you: German, the the, the best of, of German manufacturing. It's got your students going to Singapore, uh, and of course, it's got who doesn't love a penguin. Yes, and uh, when I'm recommending to my students when they're in Singapore and they haven't been there, it's the night zoo, so they can check them out at night, so that might be something. Yeah, Emma, do, do we know what happens also with the cataract operation, and does that sort of also impact or improve night vision? I don't even know how Penguin's night vision is. But. Well, it's better now, as far as I can gather. <laughs> clear, clear, clearly. Um, uh, they, they, the blessing, they'd noticed that they were having trouble finding their way around. So this is why the cataract operation was um, was organised. But the night zoo trips, Marcus, you'll be delighted to hear that they do have special bedding now for more for, for a slightly I more for yes. a more comfortable arrangement yeah. for for yeah. sore penguin bones and wings. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Emma, we're going to be heading to uh, to Istanbul uh, in a moment, uh, of course, to speak to our, our correspondent uh, there to have uh, a little bit of a check in uh, with Hannah Lucinda Smith. But before that, obviously, the news headlines we were saying at the top of the program. I'm sure um, all of the, the screens uh, that you're looking at uh, in London, us looking at the monitors uh, here out of Zurich as well, of course, is about Credit Suisse uh, and and what will happen uh, today. Of course, much discussion uh, that UBS uh, with, of course, uh, some council uh, from the federal from the federal council in Switzerland as well. Uh, the UBS is obviously asking for some levels of guarantees, as you were saying, to the tune of probably six billion ish Swiss francs uh, or, or euros as well. But this is a story which, of course, Credit Suisse has been, um, I, I would say, a, a bit of a um, not very attractive poster child for much of uh, Swiss Inc. Uh, for the last uh, few years. Uh, of course, it has been on uh, hard times. Uh, but it's amazing in a city like this how many people, of course, you know that are invested, uh, how many people we know uh, have been employed and are no longer employed. Uh, one of our voices who used to be around these very microphones, who you haven't heard for a long time, uh, Rob Cox, of course, he used to be with Reuters uh, and then went off to Credit Suisse uh, to work on the... Um, on the comm side of their business, no longer there. Might be making a return, though. Might be making a return to our microphones, which is now these left credit suites. So Emma and, and, and I bring everyone else in, you know, a really uh, quite quite a stunning story. Um, and, and Emma, as you're looking at the monitors, uh, mm. any updates right uh, right now that uh, that we need to know? Because we said there should be an announcement out of Bern and also out of Zurich uh, really over the coming hours, if not by this afternoon. The Anglophone press are clearly looking at the fact that there are 10,000 people employed between Credit Suisse and UBS here in London. So this is very much a story that will have significant repercussions here in, in, in the British capital. What we're also noticing is the fact that the Swiss are being customarily and extremely efficiently tight-lipped about this. So the regulator, Finma, hasn't responded to any request to comment from the press. The Swiss Central Bank, Credit Suisse, UBS, declining to comment, which is rather refreshing. It just gives you the impression that they are getting down to business. They know that there are emergency measures that need to be put in place now. They're going to have to skip consultation periods. They're going to have to pass any deals without a shareholder vote they're still you know that the, the clock is ticking because everybody wants to see if credit suisse can can get its house in order indeed the takeover can be organized by the time that the markets open tomorrow morning this is where the big problems are going to be because we saw you we saw credit suisse's shares drop by what 24 percent in the middle of last week um, a bounce back by a lot of the swiss financial institutions took place but this is something that we you know that the, the race is on to stop the contagion
And it's interesting, Mark is just bringing you in on this. It's it's incredible if uh, if we look at uh, the, the ticker that's running, you know, right now. What is the Tagus Anzeiger? What is the NZZ reporting? A lot of it is also about the steady hands at the tiller. So many of these wouldn't be household names, Emma, but of course there are so many. Uh, I, I would say sort of titans of Swiss industry. Uh, some with yeah, a very respected past, some with a more checkered past uh, as well. Uh, but it, it also seems to be that, as you said, not a lot, it, they're being quite tight-lipped, but also it seems to be a considerable amount is also you know, being leaked in a maybe a controlled way to say that the best uh, or at least the most experienced eyes are, are on this, uh, certainly not just today, but certainly over, over the past few days. Mark, just to bring you in, and you touched on it at the top of the program, where, where, do, you, where do you see this going? Um, do we see sort of a, a complete sort of carve out uh, or do we see that, okay, let's have UBS at least get their hands on this? Let's have some stability. And then we'll see what are the strongest parts of the brand. Do we need to yep. say domestically, there might still be two banks. You might have UBS. And we, should for, we shouldn't forget, UBS, of course, has become a, a, a very established name. But UBS is not, a name, is not a set of letters that has been with us for centuries either. This, is, this was, of course, a marriage of two other banks. Um, yep. uh, certainly Credit Suisse as well was a marriage as, of a lot of banks. As, so as, so are they at, at the same time. The same story. You know... Um, when we talk always about this merger of brands and takeovers or going together and having having a new branding, I think this is one of the most critical decisions that you can take from a stakeholder perspective because you're killing a lot of reputation, you're killing a lot of history if you just say, make it gone. And there are some cases where you see this and where they're still struggling with this killing of that one brand. From my point of view, as you say, get them together, get them assess what they're looking for, look for a future strategy, and that from that point in time, you might be having a situation where you can use the name of Credit Suisse actively, but you could use it passively as well, as you have some risks that are related to Credit Suisse that, that shouldn't pull over to the goodwill of UBS. So there are a lot of discussions, I think, regarding the whole stakeholder discussion. Even if you're saying Credit Suisse, who is now owned by UBS, you still say Credit Suisse, and with this you keep a lot of stuff away that might be then going into confusion and not being transparently reporting. Think of the case of Bayer Crop Science and Monsanto and what they, the, the, the lawsuits that they had in the United States. It all bounced back on a very strong brand that is now suffering from this whole scandals that Monsanto had deliberately in their papers. And they didn't choose to do new brands. I didn't understand it, but sometimes I think it's a real strong strategic decision. And the second thing is keep it in the draw. When there's something comes up where Credit Suisse might be playing a role again, you might be picking it up again. I don't see them as a regional bank because the regional competition is much too high and they are, how should I say, very careful now. These international banks are not the first go-to guys for many Swiss because mm. they say, I want to have a Cantonese bank or the Raiffeisen Bank. Yeah. And bouncing in that, to comp in that competition right now would change a lot into the bank. But maybe it's a bank for certain investors in certain parts of the market in the world i don't i would not think about killing it immediately otherwise the executives and and, and the board of um, financial directors would be saying well we cut it down we can't afford it anymore but i think this would be too harsh and I, I wanted to go to you first because uh, you are, of course, uh, very much um, almost a Swiss insider, but you're, you're looking from the outside in uh, as well. You have an affinity for this country. So here there's been a lot of hand-wringing, um, certainly over the past few weeks uh, on, on one side. Of course, a lot of issues around uh, 
neutrality, perceived neutrality uh, in Switzerland vis-a-vis, of course, uh, the, well, tanks to Germany to go on to Ukraine, etc. So all, all of these sort of, let's say, classic issues uh, that, that Switzerland has been known for uh, in conflicts over the years. This has been, been one thing and maybe some uh, not particularly elegantly put words by uh, the current president of the Federal Council as well. So uh, this has sort of raised a lot of question marks. The U.S. ambassador this week um, certainly getting on Switzerland's case. And then we have of course, the Credit Suisse crisis right now. Uh, do you see, uh, yeah, when you look at brand Switzerland, uh, again, uh, outside in, um, how, how do you observe this country at the moment? There's a, the, the interesting thing about Switzerland is to me, I don't know of many other countries which are defined so internationally by their private brand. So your country branding is defined by everything from Toblerone, which is, un, which is in, in enduring a, a, a branding crisis at the moment because of the repackaging of the of the mountain on the on the front cover to credit swiss which is seen as a swiss bank in a country which specializes in good reliable solid banking and then you have as you say the neutrality um the political neutrality on a different on a different side which again is being questioned so what i might do actually if you don't mind is push the question a little bit back towards you because having worked to redefine a brand when Swiss Air became Swiss you had in your hands a national treasure which is you know what we have with Credit Suisse as well where the the, the private companies define the national brand Indeed. Well, I was going to say I'm actually part of a comic in the in the newspapers uh, <laughs> this this morning, um, and it, uh, it there's there's a, there's a branding story uh, in in the papers which uh, which looks at uh, yeah I mean, what what might happen, um, and it's uh, it's just uh, it's it's one of the famous cartoonists where they, <laughs> of course, as you know, we took the name Swiss there and went to Swiss, and uh, and uh, and then we, there's a there's in the comic in the paper this morning. It shows that Credit Suisse has just become Swiss. So um, who knows? You know what? Maybe for our sister company, there might there might be a phone call. Uh, but no. But uh, that's that's a side that's a side issue to your question, Emma. Uh, I think that this is you know this is I think in many ways a good thing. This is you know maybe it's came a little bit too late. Uh, but I think as Marcus is is saying, the right things are, are happening at the moment uh, to to of course get the house in order. Um, you know uh, maybe a country not known for being open on a Sunday. Everything is uh, is firing on all cylinders on the Sunday uh, to to make make this happen, and as you say, of course, to ensure that we can move into uh, what will be the uh, well second last week of, uh, of 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 this month, but that we sail into Q two of the year, uh, at least where. I would say sort of Switzerland and Bern Incorporated uh, feel like they've done absolutely the best thing uh, for, of course, one of the most important financial centers uh, here. So I think in that sense, you feel that things are motoring along. But I think, you know, likewise, uh, as you said, there is the power of and, and how private brands, of course, define this country um, is is quite remarkable. Um, and then, of course, you do have, as we know, the, the white cross on a red background and everything that, of course, uh, really brands Switzerland at a federal or a cantonal level uh, means as well. And I think, you know, there there's probably some work to be done. I think that this is at a time, you know, neutrality has defined this country. It is a big conversation. It's an active discussion which is going on at the moment, uh, of course. But again, I was talking to some diplomats, um, certainly, uh, I mean, Swiss diplomats, that is. Um, and, and there's, again, there's this recognition that it's like, no, oh, let's not kick this into the grass. We have to be active. We need to be doing things on the global stage right now and 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 this is about policy but it's also about how do we ensure that we make this country uh, an attractive one you know to invest uh, to be educated uh, to of course to relocate to as well 
anyway, um, that's that's my, my summary on that one. Emma, should we go to Istanbul? At least I, head to head to Istanbul anyway. We have Hannah on the line, wait, ready and waiting. We do. And we'll chat to you hopefully before the end of the program. Happy to say, uh, indeed, we are crossing uh, to Istanbul uh, right now to join uh, our correspondent uh, there, Hannah Lucinda Smith. Uh, Hannah, good morning. Good morning. Uh, so tell us, of course, we have this uh, election on the horizon, uh, and of course we come off the back of what has been a, a very, very uh, tough, uh, tragic uh, few weeks, um, and also uh, one which has also been you know, charged with a lot of uh, political turmoil on the football terraces and, and beyond, uh, but maybe just give us uh, our correspondence uh, take um, on, uh, on Turkey um, with an Istanbul or Anchor review at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 2023 was always set to be a very, very uh, busy, intense and dramatic year here in Turkey with uh, elections. President Erdogan's been in power for 20 years now. People are really seeing these elections as a kind of make or break. If the opposition can defeat him, uh, people believe that, you know, Turkey can kind of turn a corner. Um, it can start, you know, rebuilding some of the democratic institutions, some of the sort of democratic values, freedom of speech, free media. On the other hand, if President Erdogan manages to win again, you know, a lot of people say, well, that's the Rubicon cross. That's really, you know, the last hope, um, you know, at an individual level. A lot of people are saying, you know, if, if Erdogan wins again, I'm planning to leave the country. I just don't see any kind of future here in Turkey. That's something that I'm hearing a lot. Um, now, obviously, the earthquakes last month um, you know, absolutely have dominated the conversation here ever since then. And, and there was some question early on about whether these elections, which are scheduled for May the 14th, might be delayed, um, you know, either held later on in the summer or indeed later on in the year. Now, President Erdogan's been really, really adamant that those elections should be held to schedule. Part of that is down to the economy. Um, you know, Turkey has been slipping into economic crisis for a really long time. And President Erdogan has been instructing the central bank to do all kinds of things to keep the lira afloat, to kind of keep a veneer of growth um, and you keep credit going, keep you know, Turks feeling like they still have kind of enough money to spend. Um, you know, obviously, that can't last forever. Central reserves are dwindling. Um, you know, foreign investors are taking fright. A lot of left you know, Turkish markets over the past few years. Um, so really for Erdogan, he wants to get these elections out of the way as soon as possible. Um, you know, it, it's, it's really a very, very complex um, kind of outlook here. You know, on the one hand, clearly what happened uh, in the earthquake and particularly the criticism over the government response to the earthquake could have damaged him. On the other hand, Erdogan does hold all the cards uh, in terms of you know promising things like reconstruction of the uh, of the places destroyed in the earthquake, uh, promising aid, and you know these are things that he's used very well in the past. You know I think one thing to say about Turkey is that it is a country where you know welfare is politically really really important, and all parties, um, you know both in in normal times and after a disaster like the earthquake, really try to set out to show that they're the party who are going to provide welfare, uh, particularly to the poorest people in Turkey. Uh, just tell us, <clears throat> when we think about, of course, uh, the welfare needs and, and, of course, the voting public, uh, we've now had sort of over the last, what, 24, 48 hours, uh, certainly the announcement about um, Turkey rubber stamping 
Uh, Finland's, uh, of course, uh, entry in, into NATO. H- how much does this you know, play into, of course, the le- election narrative? But you know, do, does you know, does your uh, you know, woman or man on the street in in, in Izmir uh, or or whether they're in Gaziantep, do they do they really care about this? I don't think they particularly care about you know whether Finland's joining NATO imminently or not. But what Erdogan has managed to do in the past, in before previous elections, really successfully, is to kind of pick fights with European countries or with the European Union as a bloc or with the US um, and escalate these rows and then turn it into um, you know, a narrative of, well, these Western powers, they're trying to harm Turkey, they're trying to, you know, take away our independence on the world stage, and I'm the man who's fighting back against them. That's worked really well for him in the past. Um, but I think, you know, at this point, you know, both the earthquake has been such a major um, event here, and also the economic crisis. I think it's going to be really, really difficult for Erdogan to try and play these rows again. I think what he's aiming for here is, um, you know, not necessarily better relations with Finland. What he's aiming for is some kind of diplomatic row with Sweden. We've seen that really clearly. You know, Sweden's uh, NATO membership seemed to be progressing really well at the start of the year. And then came this incident in late January where a a kind of lone actor, uh, far-right Swedish nationalist, burnt a copy of the Koran outside the Turkish embassy, and that just brought it all crashing down. Um, and, you know, we've seen from Erdogan and from other Turkish ministers this really kind of acerbic rhetoric against Sweden again. So I think that's what they're aiming for here. They're trying to keep that in their back pocket a bit, you know, something that can be you know, pulled out in the way that rows with Germany um, and Holland um, and other countries were pulled out back in 2018 and back before the constitutional referendum as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, whether the people on the street really care, I don't think so. There are just far too many other problems in Turkey at the moment. And just on very, very quickly, just before we go on other problems, because uh, we're going to be talking about the world of hospitality and food in a moment. Uh, there is a bit of a, uh, well, I would say sort of a small, a small fishing crisis uh, right, right now uh, in and around the Bosphorus. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is one that's been coming around every year for the past few years. Um, the fish stocks in the Bosphorus and the Black Sea have been declining for years. That's down to a number of factors, partly overfishing, um, you know, partly pollution. Um, we've seen in the past couple of years uh, here in, in Istanbul a phenomenon wonderfully known as sea snot, which is exactly as disgusting as it sounds, a sort of you know, layer of scum on top of the water that's been killing marine wildlife, um, you know, other kinds of pollution, the overdevelopment of Istanbul, all these things have contributed to falling fish stocks. Um, and experts are now warning that um, in particular, one kind of fish called hamsi, which is a kind of anchovy, it's very, very popular here in Istanbul. It's also one of my favorites. So I'm kind of quite worried about this. Um, the, their stocks have fallen so low that experts are saying that there should just be a ban on fishing at all this year. So in the past, there have been sort of really, really short intermittent bans on fishing sort of 10 days, attempts to keep the stocks up. But apparently this just isn't enough. So experts are saying that, you know, this year the fishermen should be told that they just can't fish at all. Hannah Lucinda Smith, uh, our correspondent uh, in Istanbul for us. Thank you very, very much. Uh, we're going to sort of stay. We're not going to talk about sea snot um, because there's no sea snot um, on Lake Zurich. Uh, Lake Zurich was looking absolutely 
gorgeous yesterday. Everybody uh, was was out and about. I didn't see you, Juliet. I didn't see you sort of, you know, cycling around. I, I didn't, Marcus, you're normally up in the hills, but it was, we had Marcus a Marcus and I were swimming. You were swimming. Well, okay. Well, math, math, uh, anyway. Warm Walters. Yes. Distance. Anyway, uh, I was corresponding uh, with Claudia Schmidt, who joins us right now. She looks, uh, her beat is Stadtleben, so life in the city, and of course, life in the city is about sunshine and beauty and great places to go. And how did your Saturday look? And good morning, by the way. Hi, Tyler. Thanks for having me. Yes, uh, yesterday was like this magic Saturday, the first magic Saturday where you, I really felt spring. Everyone was looking so good. Everyone was sitting around. So the restaurants were very busy. Everyone was outside. And uh, I just did a tour with my bike. And I, I, I headed to Lochegut where all the restaurants are. And the, the hipsterness is very... <laughs> very high there and uh, people were queuing in front of the Gelateria di Berna and then you okay the queue is back spring is back excellent <laughs> why don't we start on there's there's two things that uh, that we want to talk about today and one is uh, something very interesting which has happened with sort of the nightlife scene here but let's come back to that because that's even a bigger story but so in a couple of weeks uh, there's uh, there's also a lot of events going on uh, you know you said that uh, Takatsu Hugler she's got um, a fantastic uh, atelier here there's a lot of things coming on in terms of events. We're going to be doing a Hanami market here on April 15th. That's, That's listeners. Right. It's an event I also left off the list uh, as well. So April 15th, if you're in Zurich, uh, we'll be doing Japanese food stands, having lots of Japanese brands here to celebrate the Sakura season. But as you said, like, tons going on in this space, but also just a lot of, of restaurant openings uh, as yes. well. Yes. I mean, there are a lot of restaurants. They popped up in the last weeks. For example, the Gabani, which is a new Italian restaurant. Um, it's made by a family from Lugano and it's very nice it's a talaka so you find bankers and young people they also have a little bar where you can dance after the dinner so this is very nice um, and that's a family as well anyone yeah. who knows Lugano yeah Gabani is kind of run it's the a little town. bit like the Bindella from Lugano you know yeah, yeah, completely uh, and they also run a very nice speaking of swimming they also run a very nice yeah. bathing club as well yeah indeed and there there's another restaurant which is called Arctica this is very funny they they are doing like um, uh, um, tapas from the north so one of the cook comes from Lapland and they call it Lapas you know tapas from Lapland <laughs> and it's very funny so they play with northern ingredients so this is also a nice spot to check out and um, also classic like a classic French restaurant it's called uh, Bistro à Paris which plays with this you know bistronomy good wine simple good dishes I think it's near Römerhof, like um, in the area of Hottingen. So um, every weekend, new restaurants, more or less. And as well, <laughs> on the French note as well, Remy as well, uh, also new, new to the scene exactly. too. Exactly, Remy. This is um, the building where Remy is is quite famous. It's it's in the Seebandli, which is a famous house in Viedikon, just where Viedikon starts. It's a red building, and they just they have problems to find someone and. 
they had a lot of changes, but I think Remy will remain longer. And they also play with that sharing concept where, I mean, everyone does sharing, but the portions are very big. So okay. that's okay for sharing. Okay, now this is, this is the interesting <laughs> bit. Uh, you, now you said re there's also there's the new bar, there's Incognito, which is opened uh, as well. You've checked it out. Worth worth a visit to Incognito? Yeah, in Incognito is very long strasse. You know, you know, you will find the people, they hang out in the neighborhood and also live in the Langstrasse. So for me, it's it's like seeing my friends from the neighborhood. But you have all generations, you know, young people, elderly people. The drinks are good. And uh, there are also DJs. They make music. Yeah. Now, let's talk about generations. Emma, I need to bring you in on this. So there's a very, very good story. So many of you probably have heard of Zukunft, which is, or Zuki, uh, which is uh, really one of the, 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 the establishment clubs here. But tell us, like they've done something quite interesting, which uh, this is, you know, I, well, I, I'm, I'm all for this, I have to say. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a little observation, and I just realized it when I wrote you yesterday. So... Um, you know, I'm getting older too, so I passed my 40s, and sometimes I have, I love to go out still, and sometimes I see like people that could be my children, so it's kind of a tipping point, you know. And I know a lot of other people they like to go out too, and Zurich is really here for those people. So um, in the Zukunft, in the upper floor, there is a new club. It's called Oge, like upper. Uh, Obergeschoss, upper floor, and it's a really nice, it's a bar, you have a DJ, but the music isn't too loud, you can chat with people, and there are a lot of famous people, you know, like former art directors from the 90s, the um, photographers, I mean, all the creative scene of Zurich, and um, I call it the old people's home, you know, so I ask my friends, hey, let's go to the Altersheim tonight, but it's it's so funny because you meet people and then you can build your crowd and still go upstairs to to dance, you know, in the in the club. So it gives you the the chance to go out, but in a really relaxed way. And it's sort of been something which is a bit champ. I mean, well, in in parallel with our friend uh, DJ Pitch yeah. as well with Charlatan, which is exactly his rest rest disco. What's called resto disco. Rest, resto disco. So, so this is really there's another place, the Charlatan, where you also meet people older than forty years old and it's i feel it's i'm i'm welcome you know i'm not too old so marcus you're liking this as a trend aren't you <laughs> there's one thing that i'm remembering always for myself you always feel 15 years younger than you are so i could pinch into that very well and charlatan is a great place um, are, we, are, we, are we are we booking a table no <laughs> i don't fit the demographic oh, okay. Clearly not. No, but i think definitely perhaps not. my parents might be thinking of going there with you tyler <laughs> but it, but it's interesting though that this is sort of you know a bit of a of a movement in zurich and you see that this yeah. maturity but it also has a a value very new inclusive i think no yeah <laughs> Inclusive. Inclusive. Emma, should, should we be booking you at, uh, at least a small table for three or four? Too young. Right, Emma? Tell them. So, Emma, may Emma, I just say that I, I have actually seen I've seen Juliet in Charlatan, so she this can't rule herself out of this it one. True. It was for a geriatrics birthday party, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, say no more. Say no like more, that. Emma. Um, just very quickly, in 30 seconds or, or less, uh, Claudia, just uh, tell us uh, anything else that people should be coming up. Any? You mentioned some spring events and things. Um, yes, there's going to uh, there's M for Music Festival, which is a big, important uh, music festival in Schiffsbau. Schiffsbau. 
I don't know the bands anymore. I'm also too old for the lineup, actually. But it's a really nice place where you can explore a lot of new bands, upcoming bands. So this is next weekend. Um, yes, and then... Maybe I can mention the thing with the Barbossa friends of mine are bringing the, I think they celebrate the 75th birthday of the Negroni Spagliato. And you know, you know it better. Oh, I don't no. know. So I they Negroni, have kind of little party in, I think it's in VR residency. It's at, it's at Lessingstraße. It's like uh, a celebrating Negroni. Okay, well, that's everything. If everyone's coming to Zurich, April 15th, we have to leave there. Juliet Lindy, Marco Schergel, Claudia Schmidt, Andrew Tuck, Emma Nelson as well. Also, Hannah Lucinda Smith in Istanbul for us. Our producers, Desiree Banley and Emma Nelson, and also Adam Heaton back in London. I'm Tyler Berlay Monocle on Sundays back next week. Goodbye.